Hi, and welcome to another episode of Well To Do. It's our 15th episode, and I'm Andy Liu, and I'm sitting here with Dr. John Konevsky from Aura Aesthetica in Beverly Hills. Very exciting because I've come all the way from Australia to work as an expert in my field in America, where I get to speak to the most up-to-date people, places, techniques, anything to do with wellness that helps you to really elevate your health and wellness to another level. And this man is a pioneer in his profession, a board certified plastic surgeon, pioneer in minimally invasive techniques, which we're going to learn all about very soon. Aura is the sponsor of today's podcast, but I'm so excited that I've come across the other side of the world to be able to speak to somebody like you, who's even published or authored 30 articles. Now that is a lot of work on the side besides practice. Mm. What is something that makes you so unique? And welcome to the show, by the way. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you for having me. Thank you for your platform and also being so open and sharing your journey. I think it's inspiring to a lot of patients. And so for those who don't understand what Aura is all about, it's about surgery that is actually ceremony, mm -hmm. right? So if you don't know from my previous episodes or have been following me on social media, I've recently gone through an explant surgery where I've removed my breast implants and their surrounding scar tissue. And this type of procedure, which is called total capsulectomy, or some people call it on block, which is an, actually an oncological procedure, is so important because the surrounding scar tissue, actually they've discovered that there are new types of cancers, squamous cell carcinoma, anaplastic large cell lymphoma, to name a couple. But removing those as well is super important. And I think if you could tell me a little bit more about the ceremonial surgery, because mm. you are such an empath. Mm. So surgery ceremony is really a, um, it's an honoring of the process that patients go through. So I call the protocol or the procedure I've developed surgery as ceremony. Mm. And it's a way to honor the transformation of not just the body, but also the mind and spirit the patients go through. So much of the surgery journey as it relates to explant surgery is one of trauma, is one of fear and anxiety. Whether it's the reason that patients get the implants in the first place or the journey they have to go through to really process and understand what's happened to their bodies and then the surgery to get them removed. The concept behind surgery ceremony is to create a three-step process that gives patients a chance to address fear, anxiety, and trauma that they've experienced earlier in life as it may relate to their implant surgery, and then be held and guided through the process. So the three steps are, the first step is a one-week program with a psychotherapist. The therapist does something called ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. So can you explain what ketamine is? Sure, sure. Ketamine is a medical anesthetic that's been used for decades. Mm -hmm. It's a very, it's called a dissociative anesthetic. Mm -hmm. It's very good at helping people disconnect or dissociate from pain. So in that setting, they can um, drop in and not feel pain during a procedure. Yeah. The benefit of ketamine that's been noticed recently, I'd say more so in the past decade, has to do with a psychological benefit. It's right. being used by psychotherapists as an acute treatment for depression, anxiety, and post-traumatic stress. And that's very different to the traditional anesthetic that one might go through when they're going under for a surgery. Correct, so with ketamine, it allows me to create a conscious sedation or more of a conscious procedure where patients do not go to sleep. The idea is to be um, awake, present, and a conscious participant in the procedure, therefore also not 
having to experience the trauma that happens in surgery to the same extent. So you believe that there's actually trauma that our souls or body goes through whilst we're under anaesthetic? Absolutely. This has been studied um, repeatedly. Anyone who's undergone general anesthesia um, may recall the moment that they wake up and their consciousness comes back online as a real shock and trauma to the right. body. Even though you have your cognition, your body, you know why you're going to sleep, you know that you're having a surgery, and when you wake up, you have memory that you consented and you understand the process, your body has still undergone this traumatic process right. that it needs to rectify and understand. And adapt. Yeah. yeah. There's a saying in Chinese medicine, which is um, uh, when you undergoing surgery is like going, under, going to a knife fight and knowing you're going to lose. And I think that's a way to just be aware of the process and the idea behind surgery is ceremony and, and the using of ketamine in this awake process is to minimize trauma, minimize the, uh, the experience of, uh, of having all this happen you to your body. You just said the key word, the awake process. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you first introduced ketamine to our listeners and viewers, didn't tell them that when you're under ketamine, you're right. actually awake. Right, right. So that, that is a very important part of the process. So, and just to, just to clarify, so it's three steps. The first part is an awake process where you're not undergoing surgery, you're working with a therapist in a very calm, relaxed, therapeutic environment. Mm -hmm. And it's a chance to address fear, anxiety, trauma related to the procedure or anything else going on in your life. That pr the second step is the surgery. The surgery itself is done in an awake or conscious setting. We call it either conscious sedation or awake. And ketamine is used as the main anesthetic to help keep you in a comfortable place, but also to bring back that intention and ceremonial nature mm -hmm. that was addressed with a therapist. I also numb the areas. Um, that's where, um, where fat gets removed from when I do fat grafting procedures or for other types of procedures. And then the third step is body work. And that involves bringing the somatic experience back into your body with a either a certified lymphatic therapist or another type of body worker to really ground and bring you back into your body and meet the new you. Wow, the new you. Yeah. Because on that note, you know, explant surgeries are on the rise. There has been some, you know, studies and even Google, you can see on Google it's it's declining with implant surgeries. Mm -hmm. You also said that there were some new stats about breast augmentation no longer being the number one surgery. Yeah. And was it liposuction that's right so for a number of years the breast implant surgery was the number one plastic surgery procedure hundreds of thousands of those procedures being done a year and last year for the first time ever liposuction was actually number one and wow. breast implants fell number two and there's you know many different reasons that could be i would like to hope that it has to do with the awareness and safety issues being raised around implants so less people are doing them but there's also a lot more safer ways to do liposuction now and it also happened during the pandemic so there's a lot of people with more downtime so there's there's a lot of variables that can be responsible for that change in trend but i'm just happy to see the trend is happening that breast implant surgery is going down in popularity and the alternative techniques uh, are, are increasing and on this note, to bring it into context, I would like to hope that it's because women are now doing fat transfers instead mm. of re-implanting mm. silicone or saline. Mm -hmm. You don't implant, so you're doing fat transfers. Correct. So you believe that that's less invasive mm -hmm. along with the type of ceremonial surgery that you're doing. Absolutely. I think fat transfer is a more anatomically uh, appropriate solution to, people see, uh, to, to patients who are seeking uh, to, to make any kind of transformation to the breast. The breast is mostly made of fat and gland tissue, so it's not that it needs an implant uh, if you're trying to do a procedure. It's mm. fat is a more appropriate sculpting medium, in, in my perspective. And so safer, and from my understanding, when I was going through my own explant journey, you know, I saw several surgeons, and 
fat transfer was just not an option for me. I did consider it at the very beginning, mm -hmm. but you know, I perceived that as more trauma mm. and also longer on the mm. table. Absolutely. So yeah. I, I was just like, we can always do that like down the track. Right. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And luckily yeah. enough, I was just happy with the result. Mm -hmm. But for even like women who have had mastectomies, is that kind of thing possible? That's, you know, what I'm sort of hoping. Yeah, and it really depends on what the desired outcome is. Um, so just to touch on the first thing that you said, I, I intentionally stage my procedures always. The explant happens first, and then at a later time is the fat grafting. And I do it for a number of reasons. So it doesn't happen on the same time? I, I prefer not to do it at the same time. Very, almost almost never do I do them That's at the same time anymore. Yeah. One, it's for patient safety and outcomes. It's less operative time. Yes. Um, and um, also I think it's important to really go through the process of letting your body heal from yes. the trauma of the implants caused before trying to bring on another. And then blasting thing. something yeah. in an empty, empty cavity, right? Correct. Oh, so for, for sure, um, and that has to do with the second part, which is that the outcomes are better. It's very difficult to expect fat to survive in an area that's just been traumatized by surgery. So yes. what I like to do is let the breast heal, let the patient psychologically, physically, emotionally heal from, from mm. getting the explant, and then let's talk about reconstruction and, and rejuvenation of the mm -hmm. breast with the fat. The fat will survive better, um, and also the patients are better uh, suited to, to go through that. The second thing you mentioned is, um, Remind me again, you're, you're, you had asked me a question on the But I would of... like to hope that for mastectomy patients. Oh, right, right. Yeah, and so there's an there's a interesting paradigm happening now in, in, for patients who have had mastectomy, whether it's for cancer or other reasons, is that some patients um, should, and I think there's more patient uh, advo advocacy for just doing nothing, yeah. and that's absolutely okay. It's Beautiful. A, it's okay to just celebrate having scars and not having... An implant or oh. having to consider reconstruction. Give us a high five yeah, there. Yeah, that's, that's totally fine. People <laughs> should, I think, absolutely entertain that as an option. Please, yeah. Um, you know, it, in some situations it may make reconstruction more challenging, but it shouldn't just be that, oh, reconstruction is the only option. It's okay to just have a scar, either wear a prosthetic or nothing. And, um, you know, patients are given these options sometimes, but I don't think there's enough support for people who say, like, listen, I just don't want to deal with the problems anymore. Support and also a celebration, yeah. right? That's yeah. why I'm like, just high-five me, because yeah. let's just yeah. celebrate our yeah. natural yeah. state of, totally. you know, who we yeah. are and honor that. Because explants are on the rise because there is breast implant illness that is also on the rise. So this Absolutely. is the reason for women coming back to their natural state yeah. again, their 100% organic body that they've always wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And you're honoring that as a really holistic look at it which is obviously something that resonates with me and while, mm -hmm. why we're on well to do because it's yeah. complete wellness so on that note what are the sort of what's the research that's coming out where you're honoring there is an acknowledgement of that breast implant being the inflammatory driver mm -hmm. so there's a few theories around this and with whenever there's a new um i'd say fringe Thing that's happening in medicine that then becomes more and more common so it's a it's a it starts out as a noise and then becomes a signal and then a lot of research comes in yes and then the academic community comes behind it i mean it, it's happened with many things it's happened with seat belts and car accidents drinking and driving smoking and lung cancer um before but the link the yeah. noise is getting louder Abs with the and, women. Yeah. and it's not noise anymore it's a clear signal and i say noise <laughs> and signal kind of like the data yeah, the yeah. data world talk yeah, yeah. Um, and and i'm using this as kind of a preface to say whenever the signal or the wave or the momentum becomes big enough the research follows and the latest research is still it's, it's postulating what are the different theories 
And what we know for sure is that silicone acts as an adjuvant. And an adjuvant is something that triggers the immune system to go above and beyond its normal mm -hmm. response mm -hmm. to cause a swarm, mm -hmm. to cause this massive immune response. Yeah. Um, it's a cytokine storm. Correct, yeah. So even though cytokine storm may not be happening in the traditional sense in the body as it relates to implants, which is what more like from a really, really strong allergic immune reaction or, or from, from a really serious bacterial infection, just a, that low-grade inflammatory reaction getting pushed higher and higher, yeah. which is believed to be what's happening around the capsule. So right. the leaking of silicone from an implant, whether it's from a rupture or, or, or bleed of the gel out of the implant, can stimulate the immune environment around the implant, and yes. that causes more and more inflammatory response mm -hmm. um, now and, the body, not, yeah. and the body walls it off correct it walls so, it off and makes that capsule that's right so for those who don't understand what a capsule is it's the scar tissue that's surrounding now mm -hmm. this actual implant because the body's perceiving it as an invader or a foreign object right. and wants to sort of protect it from yeah. going into the rest of the system yeah. but our scar tissue is our system so it's all connected correct right? a scar that scar tissue is a living thing that capsule is a living environment and I always think it's funny when people say silicone is inert the body doesn't react to it well if you really want to get technical, something the body doesn't react to wouldn't create a capsule around it. So right. any foreign body that gets into the under the skin is going to create some sort of capsule around it, whether it's the tip of a pencil if you accidentally nick yeah. yourself or an implant. Yeah. But if you inject natural organic tissue, whether it's an organ transplant or fat or things like that, the body doesn't form a capsule around that because it recognizes it itself. Yes. That's the only truly, I think, inert way to think about things, oh, even titanium which is used in implants and stuff all the time. Well, nothing's really inert when you've got right. a living organism around it. It's wanting to help it to move. It's, it's, yeah. I included, actually, where the FDA reported that silicon is not inert in mm -hmm. my new book. So mm -hmm. it's really important to note that the rupture that we were traditionally looking for, which is what happened in my case, where six surgeons and an MRI didn't pick up wow. that I had a rupture. Wow. And only after the surgery I got woken up by my surgeon saying indeed you were right there was, there was a, rupture. a rupture exactly where you were pinpointing it's incredible it to be. That you can, so yeah. and and you know medicine's not a perfect science and mm -hmm. he said you know it's important for us to start listening to our patients more he said you taught me a lot today I'm gonna to go back and have a look but now in hindsight and I was talking about this to my diagnosing doctor is that we were traditionally looking for a hole in the bag which was meant to be a rupture but mm -hmm. a rupture can come in all shapes and sizes it can mm -hmm. become just this melting of yeah. the, the silicon itself because it's not inert right. and in my case it was a fold where it became a weak point mm. so that's the interesting part why you know you're so passionate about mm -hmm. what you're doing right now is because people are getting sicker and you want to help them to get well yeah so on that note, may I ask, you know, what is it that drove you to be Dr. John Konevsky? You know, what is it that made you want to all of a sudden get into this industry? Um, so I was fascinated with plastic surgery almost from the first day of medical school, but both the reconstructive and the aesthetic side. My very first exposure to plastic surgery was when I was volunteering as a medical student in Guatemala, and I, I watched cleft lip and cleft palate surgeons working on children, and I was just I was like... Blown away. Blown away. You know, there's operating all over the body. There's so many. It's a combination of artistry, science, creativity, but also humanity. Um, and now every surgery is different. Children yeah. have the ability to be breastfed, for example. How young were you able to see these kinds of surgeries? Um, uh, how, how old was I or how old were they? Were, were the patients? Oh, uh, anywhere from three to six months oh. old for some of the first procedures. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then, you know, there's a big range depending on when, when their first surgery is, but a cleft lip and cleft palate is a lifelong kind yeah. of surgical process. So um, from that, that yeah. to aesthetics? Yeah. So the transition there happened throughout residency where I, you know, learned more about all the different subsets of plastic surgery. 
And it wasn't until I really started to learn about minimally invasive procedures and as it relates to the breast, I started to think, wow, there's real potential here. Um, so I moved to California to do my fellowship from Canada. Yes, you're Canadian. Yeah, that's right. So I lived in Canada for 15 years. I did my medical training there. I did my residency there. And then once I finished my residency in plastic surgery, I said, I, wanna, I want to go further in my training and I want to get better in aesthetic surgery. So I moved to California, worked with some of the best docs here. Um, and it was, it was working with those surgeons that I started to really see what, what you had mentioned, which is um, listening to the patient. And I distinctly remember one day in clinic where um, I think it was, it was somewhere between like four or five patients in a row had come in saying, I think my implants are making me sick. Yeah. And I re distinctly remember that day leaving clinic being like, I just don't want to, until I know what the situation is, I don't want to do implant surgery anymore. Wow. For a few reasons. One, um, I just... I don't believe that, and at that time, this was over almost over five, six years ago, um, the the buzz in the surgical community was that pa the patients are are crazy, and I just hated that perspective. I really, right. did, really strongly was against it because I'm like five patients in a row is not just you know this the is, sufferer is the expert exactly, and so patients were coming and telling me the information. And again, not everybody who had implants was sick, but enough in a row that I was like, something's off here. And I couldn't accurately predict who would get sick from implants and who wouldn't. So I decided until there's more information or I better know, I'll just step away and just, there's so many other things to focus on. And that's when I started to get more interested in Nextplant and, and, and research and learning about that community. And that has since evolved into trying to focus on fat grafting. I believe until there's a better, more reliable, safe solution than implants, this problem is going to continue forever. There's always going to be patients getting implants and always needing surgeons to remove them to do explants. And so I'm still fully in support of the explant community, but I want to help focus and develop and improve the technology around fat grafting so that nobody ever gets an implant again. Right. So yeah. that's your vision for the future. Absolutely. Tell me what, if we had to wave a magic wand, yeah. what does that world look like in terms of even social culture and mm -hmm. our national narrative or international narrative around this? First of all, I think it starts with you are absolutely beautiful as you are and you never need to change anything. And I, and I mean that even though that's the industry I work in because I think if people um, approach that, the, the acceptance of their bodies from that state, that would just really change the, the, the dynamic. And then, and then it goes a step further in saying it's also okay to change your body if you want to. And if you want to change your body, let's do it in the most well-respected way for your mind, body, and soul. And that's... I can't stop crying. Because well, like, I know that you mean it. And, um, you know, I know walking into surgery, surgeons aren't well equipped to handle all the psychological reasons, the trauma, like why yeah. we actually implant in the first place. It's not just for aesthetics, let's face yeah. it. And so, you know, there became this industry where, you know, we just expected so much from one person and mm -hmm. then along we all went, right? Yeah, yeah. But like Sorry, now... Do you, have, do you have a tissue? <laughs> I just, I don't want you to have to up here. <laughs> here you go. Thank you. <laughs> so, but now can you see that it's... Thank you. Yeah, of it's course. So, um, it's so crucial to have this first and foremost, this conversation yeah. first and foremost with the patient. Yeah. Because there are so many people that could potentially be talked out of a journey that... And, and that's okay. And that's in the, in the process of surgery ceremony, if a patient meets with a therapist and has their sessions and is like, you know what, I'm good. I actually don't want surgery. And I, I, think, um, I, I think I want to focus on this part of my wellness journey in a different way. Amazing. That's, that's, I, I think that aligns so well with, with the mission I'm seeking out 
for, but also for that patient's That's life. That's so beautiful. Yeah. You know, I was wellness coaching someone just the other day and she had been so moved by seeing me on the Today Show that she decided to remove her implants even though she didn't have symptoms. Wow. And I really had to, you know, with my you know, duty of care, I wanted to make sure that she wasn't doing because she was influenced by me and I wanted to That's make important. sure that yeah. it was something she really wanted to do. And she kind of came to the conclusion that, you know, as a mother of two and all the rest of it, she didn't want to wait until she potentially had breast implant illness symptoms, potentially, mm -hmm. to do something about it and then, you know, have to address all of those illnesses. So, um, yeah, I said to her, it sounds to me like you're being really preventative and mm -hmm. so all power to you, right? Yeah. So that's kind of like my vision for the world, even though I didn't really, you know, know that it would go in that direction. But mm -hmm. the more empowered and educated one is, and it's not just women, it's, you know, the trans community as well. Mm -hmm. You know, how beautiful would it be to let them know that they are divine in their mm -hmm. femininity if they want, you mm -hmm. know, um, no matter, you know, with implants or not. Yeah. I mean, it's all divine. Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell me. Before we wrap up, what yeah. was the most profound case study you ever saw in practice? Um, as it relates to explant and fat crafting? Yeah, or did something else just come to mind? Yeah, there's, it's kind of this arc, um, and it was, it was really what was the culmination of surgery of ceremony for me, and just this affirmation that I was on the right path. I had a patient who had undergone, implant, uh, not implants with me, but she'd undergone the explant process, and was really uh, suffering in terms of her uh, accepting where her body was at and the, you know, she was caught and caught between this place of should I remove them and also the explant procedure itself was just so difficult and now I'm not happy with the outcome. Um, and she also um, really suffered from, from depression. She just lost her partner uh, not too long ago. It's so multifactorial. So, I mean, life is so multifactorial. Yeah. And every patient I see has got so much going on. You know, you've got bills to pay and kids yeah. and relationships and work. And like that's all that's happening. That's a whole other story. Yeah. A lot of women with BII can't even afford the surgery. That's a whole other story. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Maybe it's, for it's, yeah. part two. Yeah, part two. Part two. <laughs> so um, this patient in particular, watching her go through the surgery ceremony process and witnessing the unfolding and love and acceptance of her body literally on the table while she was awake. I remember shortly after I gave her the first dose of the, the ketamine, um, we had dropped in before the surgery about her intention and why she was doing it why, and what she was, you know, what her vision was. And she just melted and finally said, I just finally feel love for my body for the first time. Wow. And this and was on the operating table. Th this was table. on the operating table before we'd even started the procedure. And it was so powerful to me. But what, what was even more powerful, it was lasting. So she called me. Um, first of all, she, she recovered a lot. What I've been noticing is in that setting, patients recover a lot faster when they're mentally in a better place after their procedure. Her, uh, she didn't need as much pain medication. But then for weeks afterwards, she was telling me, she's like, I just feel so much lighter. I'm in such a... Um, a better place and I haven't felt this way for a long time That's and that to me was just such an affirmation of just to keep doing the work keep channeling uh, in that direction uh, because the explant process is hard and whether you're a patient that's seeking to do uh, an augmentation just with fat or you've ha you've explanted and want to find a journey to reclaim your body that awareness that there's more to it than just the body we are more than just this vessel there is the mind and the spirit and mm -hmm. honoring that process 
Um, and that was one of the most powerful experiences for me. It was to really witness that. I mean, I could tell you patient stories all day, but this, oh, this, is, this, this is a recent one that, that really touched me to say, okay, yeah. it was a positive signal from the universe that like, keep doing what you're doing, but it was also just powerful to see how the right setup with the right team can really create lasting change for somebody. And I hope they're watching or listening and knowing yeah. how much you know, it meant to you as well. And what I'm witnessing here in this new way of practice that hopefully will transcend into the rest of your peer group and, mm -hmm. and colleagues is that this is energy work, mm -hmm. really. So what is exciting for me as somebody who's come all the way from Australia to live and set up here in you know this environment as a TV host and podcast host and wellness expert is that I'm witnessing where the world is headed mm -hmm. in the city of angels where people come from Canada from all over to come here and make a difference and to really infiltrate the rest and that energy work is so important because uh, we, we realize we're connected which is the title of one of my other books mm. but mostly it's that paradigm shift now where we're looking at things holistically and not just mechanistically as mm. the allopathic model once did yeah so finally it's a very holistic approach and yeah everything counts mm. it's all connected mm -hmm. so um yeah all power to you thank you so much for yeah, letting mate. me interview you you know i slid into his dms and i harassed him and his team to have me interview. it wasn't harassment super happy to talk yeah but I, I really appreciate it yeah yeah and he didn't ghost me yeah. and here we are today and hopefully inspired so many listeners if you loved this episode of well to do please do pay it forward pass it on um, or leave some comments share you know send us a dm where can we find you on instagram so you can find me at my uh, personal or professional Instagram handle, which is at Dr. John K. That's D-R-J-O-N dot K. And also the practice Instagram, which is Aura Aesthetica. If you look us up on Instagram, you'll find us there. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well yeah. to do, episode 15.